I ended up waiting until he passed away. And my mom's sister uh, came to the wake and we were sitting down at dinner afterwards. And I handed her my phone and I just said, can you help me explain this? And she (laughs) immediately started crying. You're listening to the Find the Story podcast, where we seek to build a diverse community passionate about making the world a better place to live, work, and to play by learning to listen. We invite our guests to be vulnerable as we listen in on their story and hopefully realize we have more in common than we might have originally thought. I've known Amanda Duggar for a few years now, and I had no idea some of these things were in her story. It's definitely a page turner. I actually live in Tampa, Florida right now and uh, grew up in the St. Louis area, started at Worldwide uh, for the first go round in 2004. So you're a boomerang. I'm a boomerang. I am a boomerang. So I started in 2004, but grew up in North County, the typical uh, where'd you go to high school conversation. Of course. Went to Riverview Gardens High School. Riverview Gardens. All right. Lafayette, class of 96. Woohoo. Yeah. (laughs) So class of 98. Okay. Um, Typical middle class public school upbringing. My dad worked on the assembly line at General Motors and retired from the Wentzville plant. And my mom uh, is actually was retired from uh, Schnook Supermarkets as a checker. Wow. Awesome. Yep. Grew up in Glasgow Village and uh, lived there for most of my adult life until college. And then worked my way around St. Louis County. Yeah. Nice big circle. And then ended up in Florida about 11 years ago. Were you still with Worldwide when you went to Tampa or no, I actually come back since? I, I resigned from Worldwide and went to a competitor and <sighs> For hated shame. it. it I, we absolutely hated it. So uh, we were there. My husband and I both uh, left Worldwide at the same time, okay. went to the competitor. And now you're both time. back. And now we're both back. It just was not, it, it wasn't a great fit for us. And we missed the, well, I missed the culture at Worldwide. I'm sure yeah. Jason did too. He started his own company. But right. um, I came back to Worldwide in a sales role. So I had okay. always been in IT or professional services. Yeah, yeah. Past, so. Brothers, sisters? I have one sister. And um, the brother sister story is uh, probably something we'll get a little bit more into okay. later. Curious. For sure. So I grew up with, uh, with one sister, um, Heather. She lived in Germany for a while with her husband who was in the military. And now she lives in, uh, I, w- I would say it's Canada, New York. So okay. yeah. <laughs> so far uh, north in New York that it's basically Canada. So Fair enough. Yeah. Her backyard is Lake Ontario. Do they have awesome accents in northern New York? I think they is do. Is it more of a New York accent or more of a Canadian accent? You like, know, I'm not it sure. It's yeah. a, I know the town is Dexter and she lives on two acres. So okay. I'm so maybe curious. there's a little like backwoods accent what? in I'm it not, too. I'm yeah. not thinking either of those accents are <laughs> <Yeah>. appropriate. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, her accent's probably more German. All right. Um, and we have to start when we're talking about who you are with personality assessments, of which I'm a giant fan, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, whatever. So I'm an ESFJ, Okay. is a council. Yes. So um, I used to be an ENTJ. Oh, shifted a little bit. I shifted a little bit. What so do you think caused that? I think I just, um, I relaxed a little. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that's really, you know, I, I've always had a little bit of anxiety. I would even say more than a little bit of anxiety. And I'd say that, you know, the last 12 months or so has put me in a different frame of mind and... Wow. Just okay. I'm a little bit more relaxed. How recently did you take this one then? This one is less than probably three months old. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we did it as a team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as a team exercise. How did that show up in interactions with the team then? Did It was great. There were actually several councils. Really? Yeah. On a sales team, which I found found 
pretty intriguing. It is, yeah. The the kind of well, I guess the social aspect and the the service aspect of, mm-hmm. of it maybe um, it would make a good salesperson. Maybe not typical, but is kind of an interesting personality trait for. I like to think we're different anyway. Yeah. So. Well, of course. <laughs> Out of that, then what what motivates you? What what are you passionate about? I'm I'm really passionate about philanthropy. So okay. if if um, you know I was queen for a day and and. It could do whatever I wanted. It would be something uh, philanthropic, serving others, uh, raising money for charity has always been something uh, that I've been passionate about, whether it be the American Cancer Society, American Heart Association. Um, you know, there's several different organizations that are near and dear to my heart. And when I latch on to one, I, I kind of can't stop. Yeah. Okay. And um, it's addicting to me to to do stuff like that. And so I'd like to, you know, have my own charity that rewards other charities. Yeah, yeah. And is able why, to why don't you, if you say, if you could do whatever you want, why, why can't you do whatever you it's want? It's just a time commitment yeah, type okay. thing. And, um, I am about six and a half months pregnant right now. So yes, you are. Congratulations. A bit of a, 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 I hear these things are a bit of work. So yeah, maybe, we'll see. maybe they are, uh, got three of them myself. <laughs> so they keeping a plant and a dog alive. So. Well, uh, maybe you can just put a bowl of food out and occasionally they find their way to it. But, uh, like if you're going away for the weekend, or whatever. You can't put it in a dog cage and you know, can, come back. Eight, can't. That's a, it depends on who knows about it. That's the question. Is uh, As long as you don't tell anybody, then you're, good. Um, then you're probably Perfect. safe. But And I've learned my lesson. I was going to ask, but it, I, I know not to ask if people are pregnant or not, because that has, hasn't backfired on me, but I've been I've aware of it. Some, I, I heard a horror story as recent as this week from someone. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. Yep. Good deal. Um, so tell us a little bit just about kind of your story and what makes you who you are. So there's, I would say, several defining moments in my yeah. life. Uh, one is, I'd say, made me who I am today. I'm a 20-year cancer survivor. Wow. Congratulations so when, again. Thank you. When I was 19 years old, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Holy, how old? 19. 19. So it was my second year um, I guess third semester of college at SIUE, wow. and it was over Christmas break. So in between, Merry um, Christmas. Yeah, right. Hey, yeah. Merry Christmas. You have a six and a half inch tumor in your chest. So, oh, um, it didn't had a cough, and you know thought it was the flu. And when you're 19, you don't have a primary physician. At least I didn't. Yeah, sure. Because you you had a pediatrician, of course. And then you went to college. Yeah, and, and now you're is, invincible. That is and not important to you. Yeah, to go you don't need see, doctors. Yeah, a, a primary care. So I kept going to the campus doctor, and they just kept giving me antibiotics for my air quote bronchitis. Yeah, so good for them. Bronchitis turned into um, a very large mass in my chest that covered over one third of my chest cavity. So wow. And I was treated uh, through Siteman Cancer Center, but it wasn't even Siteman then. It, yeah. was, it was WashU Med Center there. I did um, about six months of chemotherapy and radiation. And um, it was, it, everyone thinks, oh my gosh, that would have been so, how, how did you do that? How did you right, deal with right, it? Yeah. And it's so hard. And I was invincible. I yep. thought it was, you know, I got, I colored my hair blue and purple and pink. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, started my website. I started raising money for Relay for Life. I, I really, it pushed me in a direction of um, serving others. Okay. I believe. Yeah. And it, I think it made me uh, a completely different person. I would say I was, I was a pretty wild teenager. So. Okay. Probably calmed me down a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So bef- before the diagnosis, your personality 
was what? Like, who would you say you were? What did the day in the life look like? Um, so <laughs> I probably was a, I was into IT. Okay. Because I'm trying to remember, I was working at an internet, cert, a small ISP on campus at SIU. Wow. Okay. And so I was doing tech support. And what year uh, is this? This is 1999. Oh, and, wow. And okay. I'll even back up. I actually started a Jordash campaign before that. There you go. Yeah. I okay. wouldn't say I was a Jordash model, even though I did a modeling campaign for Jordash. Right. But it wasn't. Um, you don't need to it have the disclaimers. Like they, just it just wasn't own like they it. picked me up and I was, you know, but you can still find the commercial on YouTube and um, the posters were in Walmart, which is really exciting. So, uh, you know, did the Jordash campaign thing while I was working at this um, ISP. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was diagnosed, I think, while I was working at that internet service provider. Because there's some really good friends that actually shaved their heads for me. Oh, that's cool. Like that. yeah, so yeah. people who would come and pick me up for work because I was taking a little too much Percocet to drive. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, my, I would say my personality was, I was trying to be invincible and I had, I was kind of grungy as in like, uh, Gwen Stefani like is probably late nineties. It fits. And, um, that kind of style in music. I was an art major back then. Okay. Starting Um, to come together a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More on the graphic design side, which really kind of moved me towards it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So then diagnosis happens and you, kind of have this new mindset, but you're attacking it personally, right? You're totally attacking it personally. And, you know, when you're, when you're 19 and you get cancer, your parents aren't consulted first. Mm-hmm. And my parents, especially my mother took that very personally Okay, where they would come into the room and say uh, to me, yeah. do you, do you want your mother to be here for this conversation? And she would be so mad because, and, and I would of course say yes, I never right. said no, yeah. but, um, you know, anytime I was hospitalized for, for a blood transfusion or anything, you know, she, it was always, I wouldn't say funny. I say funny now. Yeah. Wasn't looking funny back, then. of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was just an, an interesting time to grow up really quickly. Right. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, make decisions and keep track of your medications and keep track of your chemo schedule. And then I I think I went down to two classes. I still took two classes, um, but I dropped everything else in in college. And then um, I basically took that semester off, completed those two two classes over the summer and then picked back up in the fall. Well, I can imagine those transitional years, having observed friends with small children going through cancer, preteens going through cancer, and then my own sister Mm -hmm. having ovarian cancer for 10 years, she was diagnosed at 35. So she is an adult. She Mm -hmm. had children at that point. Um, And so my mom's reaction to that, my dad had already passed away, that 19 and that transitional college age would definitely be kind of a weird, you're already kind of figuring yourself out and figuring out what your relationship, your family looks like. I always told people, I said, don't feel sorry for me. Right. You know, I'm, I'm up at, you know, Barnes, you know, maybe in the hospital for something. Don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for the kids down at Children's or Cardinal Glennon. Go go feel sorry for them. Don't feel sorry for me. I know what's happening to me. I know what's happening to my body. I know I have a great survival rate. I just know these six months are going to suck. Yeah. Right. Right. So what is the traditional survival rate for Hodgkin's lymphoma? Back when I had it, which is 20 years ago, the the five year survival rate was over 80 percent. Wow. I'm confident now that it's probably over 90 percent. So it's uh, I was treated with a a type of chemotherapy that's not used anymore, which is 
a little scary because sure. it was it was pretty rough on your body. Oh yeah. Um, and I had, well, chemo's not friendly anyway. Chemo's not friendly anyway, and uh, the the number of types of chemo. So a lot of people don't understand that your chemo is different than my chemo. It's your chemo cocktail. So what right. ingredients are in your chemo? And so my chemo was. Um, it was part of Stanford. It was developed at, at Stanford, and they took some of the ones from other traditional therapies and combined them together into what I would call lightning warfare chemo. Usually people get cycles, and they do mm-hmm. a couple days of chemo, and then they come back a couple weeks later for another cycle. I had chemo just every single week for 12 weeks straight, Wow! every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard on your blood counts, really hard on your, your immune system and sure. those types of things. So the fact that it's not used anymore is just because there are some chemos that I was given some drugs I was given that cause leukemia later in life. The ad- amount of radiation and the way they did radiation back then, yep. not as yep. targeted, causes uh, other tumors. So, you know, I've been monitored for breast cancer since I was 27. I've been getting mammograms and breast yeah. MRIs, have had something taken out that was benign, thank goodness. But, yeah. um, you know, you just, I still go every year and see my oncologist and, well, you know, we go through the gamut. Yeah. Clean bill of health so far, it sounds like. Um, How quickly did you go into remission with that then? Um, I would say almost, I I wouldn't say immediately, but probably my three or six month uh, checkup, they said I was in remission. So I didn't, you wake up every day um, for years just waiting for it to come back. Yeah. And eventually that passes. Yeah. But there's, there's a time uh, when you really feel like, this is going to be the one, this is going to be the one they're going to tell me it's back. And yeah. it's just in your head and it dwells on you and it makes you make different life decisions or put something off. And finally you get over that. Yeah. And I think you finally get over that around that five-year mark where people feel like they're, they're really cured. Yeah. Well, so. I, I, the interesting thing observing my sister's journey through ovarian cancer, um, was ovarian cancer never leaves. It's always there and you can't get it, get rid of it completely. So even though she was considered in remission early on after her first treatment, it literally was waiting until every single appointment, every single scan was where the numbers telling you. Um, and even this last round was the numbers pointed to something that, uh, it, it looked like it was there, but it wasn't showing up on really on scans. And mm-hmm. then so, Having observed that journey with her, it was, I can only imagine what that actually feels like to be the person going through it. Yeah. And, and you know, you hit that five year mark and hey, you're cured. Mm-hmm. And then at 25, when I hit that five year mark, my mom dies of leukemia. OK. Just out of the blue dies of leukemia. Yeah. So Didn't there wasn't even, even like a journey. Sick, wow. So she had a brain aneurysm on the couch. They rushed her to the hospital. We thought she had a stroke. Mm hmm. And they do blood tests and her red cells are non-existent and her white cells are off the chart. And, you know, they're airlifting her to Barnes and they're prepping her for surgery to do brain surgery to take care of this aneurysm and come find out she's just completely brain dead. And she had had AML leukemia for a very long time and didn't know it. Wow. So no signs, no nothing. Not a sign. She was supposed to get her tonsils taken out. I want to say like two days after she passed away Holy and they cow. had done blood work to prep her for yeah, that nothing surgery. showed up even yeah, in nothing that showed up or they just didn't do that in depth of a panel. Right. So, yeah. So what does that do for you at 25 having now hit the five year mark and mom passes away? It's devastating. Yeah. I mean, my mom was 55. Her mom died of 
uh, a rare cancerous brain tumor at 59. So uh-huh. to me, I'm thinking, okay, well, I I hope I make it to 60, right? right. It'll, it'll be the yeah. The number uh, of the similarities champion. between our stories is is insane, but yeah. I, I would agree. I listened yeah. to yours uh, the other morning and it blew me away. Yeah. So, I mean, even at my dad passing away when I was 25, so there's there's definitely that. So, as a as a young man whose dad passes away, there's that connection of stuff of there was still a lot I needed him to teach me about mm-hmm. growing about being a man growing up and career and everything like that. Um what did that journey look like for you? It was um, what I think hit me the hardest is my mom not being part of the life I was getting ready to start with my spouse. Mm-hmm. Were you married at this point? So or? we were not married. We got married when I was 27. Okay. Um, but we had just moved in together. Gotcha. So we had just moved in together. I think she had been to our new house maybe once or twice. Yeah. And so she wasn't part of that journey. She, yep. she had seen us dating. Um, but she was never part of an engagement. She was never part of a wedding. She, there was a lot that was, you know, completely missed out on. And my father was very dependent on her. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next. Yeah. Like, how, what was his reaction and how, how did your relationship with him? Oh, it changed. I would say I was always a daddy's girl. Right. So I was, uh, I was not the good sister. My sister was the obedient straight A student. Yeah. I was the AB student but always doing something sure. behind the scenes that, you know, I probably shouldn't have been. So I kind of became my dad's mom almost. Wow. Like okay. I, I took over yeah. too much. Was that your, was that just natural tendency or was that? Well, my sister was living in Germany at the time. Wow. Okay. And I would say my mom wore the pants in the family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a thing for yep. sure. So, and I feel like, um, I, I, got my dad to move closer to us. Mm-hmm. I um, helped him find uh, a place to live that, you know, was in his price range. And he became very dependent on Jason and I for making decisions and those types of things, which in hindsight probably wasn't great, but I'm still glad it happened because I still think he needed it. Yeah. So, you know, and then, um, I don't know, maybe a year and a half later, we moved to Florida. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Bye, Dad. See ya. Yeah, of course. It's been real. <laughs> yeah. Was he still working assembly line, blue no, collar stuff he, at that he point? he retired really young. He retired uh, before he was 50. Um, so he was working part time at a um, in a place that installed leather interior in cars. And they had their group of old retired guys that, that would drive the cars. That's awesome. So Living the moved, American dream. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we moved him to Florida. Um I want to say two or three years prior to him passing away, we moved him to Florida because we knew his health was starting to fail. He yeah. had a whole host of chronic health conditions and his... Um, so let's let, yeah. let's make sure people heard that part because yep. your dad passed away then how many years later? And So my dad passed away in 2018. So okay. it's kind of recent. Yeah. Um, so he he lived quite a way quite a long time sure. uh, without my mom, and um, he spent a good three years in Florida. Um, and I would say at least two of those years, he really enjoyed himself, and he had a condo that he could see the water. He was really a boating awesome. guy. We grew up boating, and yeah. um, he always loved the water. So he had a great time in Florida with the weather. He hated snow. So once we finally convinced him to come, he was really happy he was there. Good. Um, yeah. But you know, he had everything. 
the he had diabetes, he had glaucoma, he had kidney failure. Uh, he ended up with Merkel cell carcinoma, which is a rare cancer, skin cancer. He had atrial fibrillation. So it was uh, a constant doctor visit and helping him understand what he could do for his health to make mm-hmm. his health better. And then towards the end, it was constant in and out of the hospital, heart attack, um, cancer, yeah. radiation, all that, all that. Fun so stuff. that would, <laughs> that would have been good for your Myers-Briggs, uh, ESFJ in there to, you know, care for and, oh, um, and surf in a hundred percent since his passing. What, is, what, what does that look like for you then? And I say that because I, I look at my own story now with my sister being gone and mm-hmm. my, my mom and dad both being gone. It's kind of this independence of, I, I, and I think it shows up in part two of the, of my story of the mm-hmm. podcast, but fortunately, unfortunately, there's kind of this freedom that comes along with that too. And so how does that show up for you? It, it was very interesting in that I wanted that role to, to help be that caretaker. Mm-hmm. But then once he's gone, you almost feel a little bit empty. Yeah, for um, sure. And, and during the journey of, of kind of my dad, moving and getting him situated and his health failed. He was like a cat with nine lives. He would bounce back sure. and then he would yeah. be on, you know, death's door and then he would bounce back. We were trying to have a child. So we have been trying to get pregnant for, you know, the better part of six years and multiple, you know, scientific um, assistances yeah. not yeah, working yeah. Right. and, you know, not knowing if some of that chemo was part of that or, you know, my not so favorite term, advanced maternal age being part of it. I'm, I'm, sure, yeah. I'm nearing I mean, 40, you're, so yeah, yeah, I feel uh, a lot younger than uh, I guess my OB likes to claim I am. So, Well, yeah, I mean, there is your biological age versus your mental age versus, exactly. yeah, yeah, whatever. Exactly. So, Doctors. Um, yeah, <laughs> so there were a lot of starts and stops along our fertility journey. And coincidentally or not so coincidentally, the day my dad passed away was the day we actually did our first embryo transfer. Wow. Okay. So we uh, we actually had um, two embryos and we transferred them. Only one took. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, we miscarried that baby in December of 2018. Had there been any miscarriages or natural nothing before that natural never you know we did three rounds of clomid three rounds of iui Mm -hmm. not successful at all so our first round of ivf you know we we actually did get pregnant but it wasn't a pregnancy that that withstood the the test of time yeah so what what did that few weeks feel like there from kind of the the joy of we're finally pregnant to it's so this whole the from dad being sick and passing away and, and my dad uh, was an identical twin too right really so i'm finding all these like synergies yeah, and, like, this yeah, yeah. is so meant to be we have two embryos we're putting two embryos in my dad just died he's a twin like and you're thinking this is meant to be and you fly to st louis and you're burying your father and then at your father's wake, you find out he's not your biological father. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> at his wake, you... Okay, hold on. So you've gone through all these fertility treatments. Your dad's being sick. You're taking care of him. You finally find out you're pregnant. 
around the time he passed away anyway, right? The day the, of, the, what was that? The day he passed away is the day we put the embryos back in. And then and we then had how to long? wait about two weeks to, to okay. see if they took. And one took, but okay. I had already found out that apparently my parents had a fertility struggle. Okay. And um, they actually used donor sperm. Uh, and I kind of knew. So, by the way, if any, this is just a PSA announcement. If you're going to do 23andMe, mm-hmm. be prepared yeah, for the right? results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so You can learn all sorts of things, the, apparently. It was like the summer prior to my dad's passing, and he had already been in the hospital, and he was in the hospital for a very long time. Um, his 23andMe results had already been back for a while, and it was just you know, us, you know, looking at how, um, you know, how Italian he would be versus, you know, how German. And and when mine came back, like the year prior, it said I was, um, you know, over 25% Ashkenazi Jewish. Wow. And I remember looking at it going, huh, well, that's interesting. I'm impressed you can even pronounce it. Well, I had to learn. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I, um, my mother's mother came from Bayreuth, Germany. Okay. Kind of during the Korean War, my grandpa picked her up. So okay. I, I talked to my aunt about it, which is my mom's sister, you know, only kind of living relative that that kind of can comprehend what's going on here. Right. And she's like, well, you know, it, grandma could have been a, a German Jew. And I kind of think that. So she, you know, made me think that's where that came from. Well, um, my dad did 23 and me and, you know, we look at the results and, okay, you're this much Italian. And I didn't look any further into it. And then one day I'm playing in the app and I get to a screen that says, because all of our profiles are, are linked, my sure. husband, my dad and myself. Okay. And they're all linked and, and it says I share 0% of my DNA with Edward Carter. 0%. 0%. Not even like... A little bit. None. Zero. Got it. And so I hand my phone to Jason. And I was like, what do you think about this? And he's like, I don't know. Do you think it could be wrong? And I was like, I don't know. But we didn't feel comfortable with my father in the hospital asking him. Yeah, why, that makes sense. Because it didn't, didn't matter to me. Didn't matter to me how or why those results were the way they were. Right. So we kept them to ourselves. Well, that's definitely a healthy perspective on the whole thing so, as opposed to, what? I need to make a phone call right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I I ended up waiting until he passed away and my mom's sister uh, came to the wake and we were sitting down at dinner afterwards and I handed her my phone and I just said, can you help me explain this? And <laughs> she immediately started crying. Oh, wow. And so I didn't know if that was a happy cry. Right. That was a. We have to talk about this right now. Oh, no, the secrets out cry. Yeah. yeah. So come to find out they had had trouble um, conceiving and they used donor sperm through Washington University Medical Center. My my DD, I call him my DD, my my DNA dad. DNA dad. Nice. My DNA dad uh, was a Ph.D. student through WashU. Okay. And so this, you know, my dad died in, uh, I think it was late, late October. So I find this out late October. And then, you know, circle, you know, miscarry. The other, my miscarriage actually happened the same day my mom died, by the way. That was another. Like the anniversary the of. The anniversary yeah. of my mom's passing. So that was early December. And then circle around to really early January. And that was the January we went to L.A. for a global sales meeting. Okay. Um, a niece pops up on 23andMe. A niece. A niece. Okay. A niece, and I don't know the name. Right. Like, who is this person and how is she my niece type niece? 
So 23andMe has the capability of telling you, like, relationship-wise. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I haven't done it yet. I really want to do it. So, But now I'm scared of what I could learn. <laughs> and I have nobody to ask, really. I have some cousins and things I could ask. But. Uh, so we, I, I get this niece pop up, and literally within, I don't know, not even a day, a half-brother pops up. Okay, now we're talking. Yep. So... I already know that my, you know, DNA father is not the father I grew up with. Mm -hmm. This poor guy didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> so, okay. you know, he, he's looking at the results and immediately assuming that his dad had an affair with my mom. Okay. So it shows up to you because someone just took it, to got their... And, and you choose whether or not you're publishing your, right. your stuff. So I had already um, potentially even changed my profile to say um, that my biological father um, was a sperm donor. I think okay. I even put that in there. Yeah. So anyway, um, Tim is his name. Tim, this is your half-brother. This is my half-brother um, who actually, uh, he grew up in the, in the St. Louis area. He, <laughs> he lives in L.A., where, where we were going we for going a sales meeting. We two weeks yeah. later to the global sales meeting. And um, so we connect and he finally gets the truth out of his parents. <laughs> that had to be fun. <laughs> and, you know, we start connecting the dots with the niece. And, of course, if there's a niece, there's a grandfather. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So who's, who's your, your grandfather is our DNA dad. Yeah. So um, we connect the dots on, on who that is, and we find out that he's a scientist, uh, studied neuroscience at Washington University, mm -hmm. and he's retired, and uh, he actually works across the street from Worldwide Technology 701 campus. Yeah, our old headquarters. Our old headquarters. So <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> like all these, the, the stars align kind of moments, mm -hmm. and then he's right across the street. And and his mother, who's still living in her 90s, lives in L.A. <sighs> so while I'm in L.A., I get to meet my half-brother, mm -hmm. an aunt, and a grandmother. And it it blew me away that all these things were happening, you know, and, and um, you know, just coming off of this kind of bad experience of losing my father, losing a baby, and trying to define in my mind what's next. What do we, you know, how do I process all of this in yeah. my life? So, I mean, this is October to February or October, something, right? Yeah. And what's funny is the reason, you know, the niece and, and the half-brother popped up is because people get these kits for Christmas. Yeah. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. So people get these kits for Christmas. And so I actually texted Tim this past Christmas and I was like, are you prepared for, <laughs> for new siblings? He's like, I just redownloaded the app. <laughs> really? That's it, insane. We have no yeah. new people yet. So, but my, my sister I grew up with, she has since found her um, DNA father and wow. has found all of her siblings and her, her DNA father is a, was a physician at WashU as well. So it just amazes me that the lengths my parents went to to start a family. Right. It was 20 years. Um, I'm not 20. I would love it if it was 20 years ago. 40 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, they were finding ways to to make this happen. Yeah. And here I am, six and a half, almost seven months pregnant yeah. with IVF attempt number two. And Well, that you know, is, I mean, you, you say that, and it's not something I had really thought about anyway either of the types of fertility challenges and treatments in late 70s mm -hmm. uh, of kind of that and early 80s of that time frame. 
and my sister was born in 1977. So even yeah. prior to 1980 when I was born. Yeah. And then my half brother was born in 81. Um, and then there's uh, four other half siblings. I've met uh, one of them. Okay. Um, we had a leadership meeting in Savannah and a yeah. half sister lives there. So I got to meet her. Wow. And uh, I've been in communication with, with every, I've touched base with everyone. Um, there's nothing that, you know, I want or need from them. They, uh, they follow me on Facebook. I follow them on Facebook. We like each other's stuff. That's about all we get. Right. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. It, Tim and I will go back and forth on text just because we have, we share this crazy come to know your background story. Yeah, you know, and also <laughs> as you're trying to go through this fertility journey and you're filling out tons of paperwork on your health history, mm-hmm. um, it's different now. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really fascinating point. I actually went to my OB for my first appointment. Um, the once you're released from kind of the the fertility specialist, and my husband's in the room with me, and they said, "So, um, are your parents still living?" I said, "No, they're deceased." <laughs> my husband pokes me, and I was like, "Oh shoot, yes, my dad's still alive." Yeah, <laughs> and then that's the, a the crazy nurse mindset. Looks yeah, at me, and I was like, I just kind of smiled, and she said, "Do you have any siblings?" I said, "I have a sister," and then my husband hits me again. I was like, "Oh crap, I have," and I started counting, and I was like six half brothers and sisters. And then I just said, 23 and me just rocked my world. Yeah. And she just started laughing and, and was curious about the story. But yeah. you know, it's no, no type two diabetes, no glaucoma history, no kidney disease history, no heart history. Now. All the things that All the your things dad that you dad grew up that with. I grew up with. Yeah, yeah. He will always be my father. He right. is my dad. He's the man who raised me, the man I adore and love and miss dearly. The it's really thanks to the, the, DNA dad that I was able to have, you know, my dad right. raise me. So, yeah, that's so what <laughs> I don't even know what to make of this. What what do you make of it? Like, what has this meant to you up to this point? It's so actually while I'm at global sales meeting, I actually get the word believe tattooed on my arm, which actually I had I had always wanted a tattoo of uh, my mom's handwriting. OK. And when my dad passed away, I was like, hmm, maybe I can combine the two. So I have a cousin who's a graphic artist and mm-hmm. I submitted a couple different um, pieces of, of uh, handwriting from both parents. And he he basically created a letter oh, letters cool. out of each of their yeah. um, writings to, to create this tattoo. So, as, you know, no better place than L.A., where I'm finding all these things out and, and trying to figure out what's next to, to kind of commemorate what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always wanted to write a book, um, about my dad. I've always wanted to start a charity. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've, I bought genuinehuman.org a long time ago. I'm addicted to micro and all he stands for and everything he does to reward people doing great things in the community. And mm-hmm. that's ultimately what I want to do with genuine human because I always describe people, um, when you run into someone and you're just like, well, it's just, he's just a genuine human, one right, of those yeah. genuine people. And, and so I want to go find those people out in the communities where we live and work every day and, yeah. and take the money I'm raising and give it to them because they're already plugged in and doing great things in their community. And I want to be able to fund that more. Yeah. So let's talk about those two words for a second. Then let's start with genuine. What does genuine mean to you beyond the dictionary definition, right? Yeah. I, I would say, uh, humility by, by all accounts, Mm -hmm. um, authentic, 
and and really someone who gives back. Okay. What about believe? That we are not in control. You cannot look at this story and feel like you're in control. Somebody else is yeah. is pulling those strings and and really, you know, I would say it's definitely brought me closer in my faith journey okay. you know, over the last, I'd say four or five years. Um, you know, I, I didn't even really go to church mm-hmm. growing up at all, unless I was going with my, my grandma to her Catholic church. But, you know, Jason and I found great churches in um, the Tampa St. Pete area that we got involved in. We were doing lots of um, give back and and mission type work for them. The WWT worship band. Yeah. So yeah. we we have the prayer breakfast at every global sales meeting, leadership meeting, yep. and um, so I'm kind of the organizer and aggregator of getting the worship team together. Even though yeah. I have zero musical talent, of which I'm apparently joining you this year. So Fabulous. yeah. So I won't be there in person, but I yeah. still am there cultivating kind of the, the organization and making sure that we can rent instruments and yeah. we can advertise. And, and We are a technology company. You we can are. be there. I, but will, no. I will be there via Facebook Live, okay. I promise okay. you. Um, but what's so funny is that at Global Sales Meeting, I was up there dancing like crazy, singing into a microphone, and everybody's like, wow, you were so energized up there. Great job. And I was like, yeah, but my microphone was off. Just so you know, like I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have yeah. zero musical talent. Fair so. enough. Yeah. You can still worship. and uh, Yeah, of course. <laughs> my job is to be a hype girl. Yeah, that's, there you go. That's yeah, my yeah. job. Little yeah. Flava Flav of action right. or something. That's, uh, yeah. Bring my Riverview in there. I don't, I can't see Flava Flav in a worship band, but you yeah. know, that's a whole nother hey. story. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe he is. I don't know. We don't, we don't know his story. Um, uh, maybe we should have him on. Um, so that being said, you talk, you talk about genuine human and writing a book and things. When is, when do you see this happening? What's the next five years? What's the next 10 years? I, the goal was to actually launch the paperwork for the 501c3 last, this past summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually this past summer was, um, when we were able to, um, have a healthy embryo, right. make sure that it was, um, certified healthy, I guess, you know, yeah. we went through genetic testing to make sure that it, it was one that, that would be carried to term. Cause that's the reason why I miscarried the other ones. So, um, that's what we did this past summer and that has been our sole and only focus. And so I feel like, you know, I doubt maternity leave is going to be this breeze of a, a time frame where I'm just going to have all this extra time on my yeah. hands. Well, I, <laughs> I have experienced it from my perspective, but um, baby's going to sleep for most of the time. So you'll, maybe like you'll have some sleep. time. I, I, might, I might have some time to file some paperwork. Yeah, nap for while sure. they're napping is yeah. definitely the, the I, story. I love um, throwing things together on WordPress. So I hope to be able to put something up on a website and get the paperwork in place. I, I do sell, you know, t-shirts that sure. have the believe on it and it says genuine human, hashtag genuine human on it. I do want to write a book about my father who raised me just yeah. because he's hilarious. And I have so many funny stories that uh, a lot of my friends know. There's actually a folder on my iPhone of, of photos that kind of commemorate things. It would, it would be a, like a short story coffee table book. You know, I don't know that a, a memoir is really in my future yet. But yeah. There's, there's a lot of special projects I'd like to get done. All right. So... I have to end every one of these conversations with just a list of questions, rapid fire, answer however you want. Okay. Um, we'll begin with what is your favorite word or phrase? Believe. 
Of course it is. Got it tattooed on the arm. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. Um, What is your least favorite word or phrase? I'd say no. No? No, I don't. I don't take no well. Okay. Back to that ESFJ. Yeah, if someone tells me no, I probably will say I'm going to prove that it's a yes or I'm going to prove that it's a no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to understand for myself. Okay, fair enough. Uh, What trait do you most admire in others? I'd say calmness. Calmness. I, I... do you know David Schenberg, the keeper of calm? I, I I know him. However, I didn't know he was the keeper of calm. Yeah, this is a and, thing. Uh, yeah, I think we need to team up. But it's very interesting struggling with anxiety for years. And I think it was not feeling in control, mm-hmm. you know, having the no of you're not getting pregnant. It's not happening. No, this didn't work. No, this didn't work. I think funneled more and more anxiety. And I was talking to my husband just last week. I said, I feel like I'm the most calm and relaxed I've ever been pregnant. How crazy is that? And we both are kind of blown away by it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of the answer to what you've been hoping and waiting for. And so you get to be content in that probably. Enjoy it. it. Yeah, for sure. Um, What trait do you most deplore, despise? I'd say judgment. People who, who judge before they get to know. Yeah. I would agree with that. Not that I have to agree, but I would agree. What talent would you most like to have? I would really like to play a musical instrument. Okay. I I bought a ukulele once. Once? Yep. I haven't taken any lessons and it's collecting dust. And I I thought if I could learn to just play a few songs on the ukulele, I would feel, you know, musically talented and we'll see it. Maybe something else you might have time for someday. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll figure that out. My eight-year-old likes to call it her ukulele. Ukulele. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is just how she says it now. Of course, she can say it correctly now, but yes, it is. Yeah. (laughs) What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I think uh, I'd say author, just getting, getting published and, and not, you know, obviously I think I could throw some pictures and words and, and, a book I do online and throw it on Amazon. Yeah. I would like to do something a little more formal than that. Yeah. A friend of mine, Kelly Stewart, who also lives in Tampa and also Kelly, you need to come on the podcast. I know we're planning on it is uh, she's now published two novels and a, uh, and a book about creatives that we should definitely hook you two up. I think you would both enjoy getting to know each other. What profession would you least like to do? I have worked in a daycare once. And that was pretty miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. That um, I was in high school. So I would just say that. Okay. That, that That's probably enough. Yeah. <laughs> I was in high school working at a, at a daycare and there were too many kids and not enough adults. And um, yeah, I think I'm sure kids are different when they're your own. True. But working in a, a daycare is just, just definitely not for me. I have always said kids are not really my thing, but the three that I have are... The, the most amazing. Absolutely perfect. Yep. Um, what is your greatest fear? I'm going to say spiders. Ditto. Um, I hate, I can deal with snakes. I can't deal with spiders. I will kill a snake mm-hmm. because I can use kind of like a, a backhoe or something. I've yeah. done that in the backyard in Florida. But my old roommate in college, uh, I would actually trap spiders under cups and wait for him Just to leave it home. there. Yeah. And he would have to dispose of them. Thank you, Dusty. Yeah. I, <laughs> definitely top of the list for me as well. Um, it was a good thing you didn't say what crocodiles in Florida or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I Do you see a lot of those in Tampa? Ribbons, uh, okay. The rivers. Um, in Tampa, it's the uh, it's alligators, not crocodiles. So the crocodiles are, are more 
um, I think Missouri way. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get the, the two confused. There's a, lot of, there's, there's a lot of gators on golf courses and stuff, but yep. they usually leave you alone. But they, they snatch up a few dogs if you have a house too close to a pond or if yeah. you live on the river, which we've stayed clear of. So. Yeah, probably smart. You mentioned Faith briefly. Mm-hmm. Who to you is God? I firmly believe that I'm still learning that every okay. day. Yeah. Um, my faith journey is one that's, I would, I would say I'm, I have faith and I have belief. I don't have the biblical knowledge behind it to feel comfortable in my faith yet, Mm -hmm. to feel like I'm knowledgeable enough to, to have a debate or have a, an intelligent conversation about God. Sure. But I know, you know, who he is to me and for me, um, is something that is, you know, deeply personal and, and right. that is part of the the guidance and assurance that, you know, we're we're here for a, a better purpose. And yeah. there's there's more to life than um you know what you're doing today and what you're doing tomorrow. Yeah. There's definitely something healthy in understanding that personal connection. Probably one of the things that turns people off the most about people of faith is their desire to debate Mm -hmm. and defend and know and the knowledge that comes along with that. So um, there is a healthy balance and a reason for that, but uh, uh, definitely healthy perspective there. That said, if heaven exists, what do you what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? We're hoping we were hoping you'd make it. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. We're we're hoping you'd make it. I would yeah. say as a teenager, they probably wouldn't have thought I'd make it. Um, so yeah, and and you know, I I, I think those are definitely the words I, I'd like to hear. Yeah. Is, is we're we're glad you made it. Good. Um, it means I had enough fun. So <laughs> navigate the grave. Yeah. The next question I'm sure has some really interesting connotation based on what you were going through at 20. What advice would you give to 20 year old you? If I look back at 20 year old me, I was just waiting every day for my cancer to come back. Mm. So I think my advice to 20 year old me is that that's going to pass and you will get over that hump. And one day you aren't going to define yourself as a cancer survivor because yeah. for a long time, if anyone asked me to define myself, that was the one and only thing I could think of that defined me. There wasn't yeah. anything else that was part of my story or that was uh, important for other people to understand about me. That's really fascinating because we all have our identity, right? And so how would like kind of five words, who are you right now? What's your identity? I would say, I can't wait to be a mom. Yeah. I would say um, I'm a wife, I'm a friend, I'm patient. Okay. And one more. That's good enough Twitter bio. Yeah, that's probably good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, uh, I would call myself a, even though I'm, I consider myself a philanthropist, mm-hmm. I'm a broke one. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't have to <laughs> I have, have all the, the desires to be right. a, a philanthropist. Um, and that is, that will one day um, be something that I, I hope we can put a lot of time and, and treasure behind. You have a fascinating journey. Well, thank you. It sounds like our journeys are a little bit similar. Very. Listening to yours very, as yeah, well. Yeah. So um, I appreciate the opportunity just happening to be in town for yeah. uh, my baby shower. Yeah, which, it, you know, <laughs> is the rest of the story now as you officially get to start the family and everything continues to go well with that. Yeah, thank you. So thanks for the time. Awesome. Thank you All so right. much. Yeah. Appreciate it. 
So thanks for listening. And thank you to M.F. Bolton for the soundtrack to find the story. I'm your host, Lance Leonard, and I'll see you next week. 